Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Structure is a fixture in my day, now more than ever. I'm an early riser, and one of the first things I do every day is take Jovi, our mini golden doodle, out on her morning walk. Heading into these winter months, as the weather changes, your dog may experience a rough, dry, chapped, or even cracked nose. The dryness ranges from a bit of a dry nose to the intensely dry condition known as nasal hyperkeratosis. While nasal hyperkeratosis can often be a lifelong condition, the good news is nose butter from Rough Nose, spelled R-U-F-F, will moisturize your dog's nose back to health. Rough Nose believes in supporting your pet's health and well-being with high-quality formulated products. All products are human-grade and are made with 100% natural ingredients and were formulated by a master herbalist. Their 100% natural, human-grade supplements are free of any added preservatives, additives, flavorings, or artificial color. All ingredients are organic or ethically wild-crafted and sourced from trusted suppliers and made in the USA. Once again, Rough Nose, spelled R-U-F-F. Visit www.roughnose.com and use coupon code MILE40 for 30% off on your next purchase. Mile 40 is back. And for today's episode, I am going to dive right in because we have a very special guest. And I know that this episode, if I were to allot him unlimited time, could take um, several hours to record. So we're going to dive right in here today. Today, I am very excited to announce that I have Ethan Zahn on. Ethan is a humanitarian, inspirational speaker. He's a television host, former professional soccer player, cancer survivor, which we will definitely get into. And he is most known as being the winner of the hit reality TV show, CBS's Survivor Africa. He was a contestant on season 40 of Survivor, Winners at War. He's an author, inventor, co-founder of the global nonprofit Grassroots Soccer. Ethan, your bio um, could take up a solid five minutes. So I'm going to stop right there and say thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. You did a great job with the bio. I actually have nothing left to say, so I don't know where this is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I already know uh, that we have a lot to dive into today. Um, I am very fortunate that you took the time out to join me today. And just some background for the audience. Let, let me kind of give them a little insight into how you and I met. 
Sure. So back in 2017, after I ran my first New York City marathon, um, unbeknownst to me and unexpected, for the very first time sharing my story, uh, I was fortunate enough to raise a good amount of money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And after uh, the marathon, the leadership team took me out to a lunch and we were sitting around and, and thinking of ideas around what to do next. Um, and honestly, I was kind of still shell-shocked with what I had gone through the, the previous months before that, raising nearly $50,000 at that point. Um, and I thought to myself, the sky is the limit. So we were talking about climbing Mount Everest. We were talking about doing the Ironman and Kona, both of which, if, if you know me, know that you know a lot happened in the span of a year. And growing up, none of those things would have been something that would have crossed my mind. Right. And then one of the gentlemen said, hey, you know, I think I got something. And I was like, what is it? He goes, Bashoy, I was told I'm only allowed to use this card once. And I was kind of really curious. I had no idea what direction he was going in. And he said, Ethan Zahn told me that I can give him a call once if I think I have a candidate as someone who I might be able to submit uh, for consideration to potentially go on Survivor. Yeah. And all of a sudden, my mind just started jumping around because if you know me and you know me growing up and people have seen this video and you've seen this video... Yeah. You know that I'd probably make quite an interesting guest on the show. Um, so let, let's talk about that really quick. Sure. Uh, for, first impression, uh, when you saw this guy, um, you know, the video that I had sent over, and essentially I was playing to the tune of, I know I'm not really going to do well surviving on this island, but I should be able to provide some laughs out there. Right. I mean, I was like, this is great. You're the perfect candidate for Survivor. You know, they often like transformational stories. They like the ethnic background. They like people who are like searching for new meaning in life. So, and a little bit of sense of humor. So like your video, it brought me tears and laughter. And so I was like, I'm in, I'm sending this to the head of casting of CBS, which I did. Nothing happened, unfortunately. However, I highly suggest that you reapply re to Survivor. They're casting right now. So let's talk after this and I'll get you in finally. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. So for the for the audience out there, that's how Ethan and I met. And uh, fortunately, we've kept in touch ever since. And Ethan has been a very kind supporter of the Break Barriers mission. Um, and uh, he, he is someone who I just have extreme respect for and someone who I've been watching from the sideline as he has grown his organization, Grassroots Soccer. So let's kind of take a step back here. Sure. Um, you're most well known for your uh, tenure on the show. Um, growing up was, uh, an experience like survivor, something that you had ever envisioned, or was that something that kind of came about and, and you had played to it naturally? Well, I can't say I ever thought of going on survivor because don't forget when I was on survivor way back in 2001, reality TV didn't really exist. Right? right. So there's only one show out there. It was survivor. Then came like, you know, uh, big brother, amazing race, uh, the bachelor American idol, but survivor was the start. So prior survivor, I lived and played professional soccer in Africa and Zimbabwe. And so I was always, you know, challenging myself to experience new things, put myself in unfamiliar situations, see how I learn and grow from those experiences. So when I got back from playing and my career was spiraling out of control, I was living in New York City with like nothing to do. 
I was like, well, I guess I can apply for Survivor and see what happens. So it was really funny because like literally, um, no lie, I was like unemployed. I told my mom I was in between life choices. So for anyone who's listening, listening, you're never unemployed. You're always in between life choices. But me and my buddy ran around New York City. There may or may not have been some alcohol involved. And we just made a three-minute video on why I should win Survivor. And I was supposed to make a video for my buddy. My buddy was supposed to make a video for me, but we ran out of time for him. So we only sent in my video and then I got chosen to be on the show obviously and uh, that's kind of how uh survivor happened that's crazy and, no, and i mean that was before iphones right i mean 2000 yeah i mean there was there's was, i was editing this all night on two vcrs on a vhs tape and we shipped it in fedex no digital no social media no cell phones none of that stuff wow wow i a lot of listeners here couldn't even imagine probably have to look up what a vcr is but yeah no that that that's crazy i mean thinking about it now after um i was struggling myself with all the technology uh the work that you had to go through to put together uh, a tape like that so you got casted what was the casting process like casting process was uh, a bunch of telephone calls and interviews and then they ship everyone to LA for the final casting and they lock you in a hotel room for about a week and you go through like personality tests, physical tests, photo shoots, meet with producers and Jeff Probst, Mark Burnett, those are the guys behind the show. Um, they'll wake you up at like 12 at night and just have you complete like SAT type stuff just to figure out like if you're ready and prepared to go on the show, what do you look like with no shower, no makeup, all that stuff. So it's a pretty intense cast process but by the time obviously you're done um you know you don't even know when you leave la they didn't even tell you you made the show or not they just said you, you got a good shot and then you just wait for that call and uh, they gave me the call they don't tell you where you're going nothing uh you hop on the plane i landed up in la still no idea where i'm going and it wasn't until i was in uh amsterdam and i got the next leg of the ticket which says nairobi i'm like okay i think we're going to kenya i think we're going to africa wow. What intrigued you most about a show like Survivor at the time? Was it just kind of doing something crazy or was there anything um, that, put, you know, really kind of uh, dug into you? Well, personally, I think Survivor, I watched the season before yep. my season two Australia. It's the perfect game. It's a game that touches on every part of you as a human being, mental, physical, social, spiritual, environmental, financial. And then to do this, on the world stage with millions of people watching was something I, I enjoyed that, that, you know, the challenge part of it, the relationship building part of it, the, you know, pushing your body to the limit, no food, no water, no, no, um, you know, shelter, you're doing that all yourself. And so for me, like survivor is like, it's a game of relationships. It's how you interact with the other people that determine how well and how far you go in the game. So I enjoyed the challenge of it. Like I said earlier, like, putting myself in new and unknown situations where I'm forced to grow as I respond to these new challenges was something that I thrived on in soccer as a goalkeeper, right? So like everybody either loves you or they hate you. There's nothing in between. And the pressure and the stress, that's what I get off on. And so to be able to go play Survivor, the money was was intriguing, but for me, it was the experience and the challenge of making it through 39 days in the middle of a Africa. Um, and so that's what excited for me. And listen, like the money's going to go, but the title of Survivor Africa champion, that will never go away. And so that's what excited me to go on the show. 
Absolutely. Did you feel like you had a strength, you know, going in, you, you talked about the different aspects of it. Like, you know, we talked about myself, I felt socially that was going to be my only lifeline to right. survive on the show. Did you feel going into the show that perhaps that, um, you know, there was something in particular that maybe distinguished you amongst other contestants? I mean, to be honest, I had every intention to being an evil backstabbing slimy little pig to get ahead in the game. Right. I absolutely but love when I that. got out there and you take away food, you take away water, you're tired, you're hungry, you're thirsty your true person comes out. Yeah. And what was left on the inside was I was just, that wasn't who I was. I'm just not, that's not who I am. So like, I didn't want to try to pretend to be someone else to win the game. So I just played the game how I played my life. And so for me, you know, I played like the assistant coach role out there. Like everyone hates the head coach. Everyone loves the assistant coach. So the head coach, this guy named Lex would complain to me about all the other players. All the other players would complain to me about Lex. And then I just filter that information and spit it out. So like having experience playing professional soccer, adapting to new uh, environments, working within a team environment, yet like the end goal for me is to be the last person standing. So to be able to like manipulate and navigate and, and adapt is something that I felt comfortable with. And just being kind of like a likable dude was really kind of what I was going for. And uh, it worked out in my favor. I didn't get one vote against me when I played. And that's kind of a rare occurrence in Survivor. And so, uh, yeah, it went well for me. And I don't think people could play that strategy again. Yeah, The game is just so different now. Like I was on season three, we're in season 43 right now. Yeah. And so like the games changed, but, but the experience I had, I felt that strategy in that particular show with that group of people was the right place, right, right direction to go in. Yeah. I mean, you have been noted as one of the most liked, uh, excuse me, participants on the show so far. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, I, I could obviously see why, uh, but, uh, my next question to you is around as you were going through that process on the show you said 39 days it is 39 days yeah 39 days as you get closer to the end you know we understand that you know money was not the main priority going into it and perhaps as you were getting closer to the money you started to see the potential and, and your kind of mind was running but i want to dive a little bit deeper into maybe the existentialist aspect of this as you were getting closer to the end did you start to kind of maybe uncover a new purpose for who you are and you know uh, you know in the grander scheme of things um and and your life's mission yeah Great question. In fact, uh, during the show Survivor, I won a reward challenge and I won two goats, which I wasn't so happy about. But I got to take these goats to this little village of Wamba. And before I left this village of Wamba, I was hanging on the parking lot of Wamba Hospital. And all these little Kenyan children came out and they're touching my skin. They're playing with my Jufro, you know, like they had never yeah. seen anyone like me before. And so back in the day, you were allowed to bring a luxury item, which is one item that reminds you for life away from the game of Survivor. For me, I brought a hacky sack, like, mm. like a little mini soccer ball right there. Yep. All these kids came out and like, I couldn't speak the language. I didn't know what to do with them. So I busted out my hacky sack and we start playing and laughing, connecting through this sport that we both love and a language that we understand. And I'm like, okay. And then before I left this parking lot of the hospital, one of the nurses comes over to me. And she's like, these are the kids that are HIV positive. Wow. Like, wow. Like here I am in the middle of this game, this cutthroat game of survivor. And I had that real life experience. So it was at that moment I decided, okay, like if this goes my way and I end up doing well in the show, I want to do something good with the money and the the platform and whatever this silly reality show brings me. So I ended up winning, get home from the show, met up with some of my soccer buddies of mine. And that's kind of when we started Grassroots Soccer. I used the winnings to, to co-found Grassroots Soccer. So the money was important. 
but my mind shifted from let for let less of like my own, you know, I don't buy a car, yeah. go to Vegas, you know, sure. you know, strippers, you know, gambling, all that stuff. Like you think a 27 year old kid would want to do. So when I got back, my, my, my philosophy in life kind of switched and I want to use that money for something good. And I think that stems back to when I was a youth, because when I was 14 years old, cancer came into my home and it took my father away from me. And so growing up, I, I appreciated early on in life, I think the value of community, like this is a time where I just wanted to like go into my room, not come out and play or talk to anyone, but as my friends, my soccer player friends, my family, the Jewish community around me, they're the ones that reached out. They're the ones that embraced me. And I mean, you know, the same thing, like when you're going through cancer, you know, the, the community and the, the love and support around you for me was was beautiful and overwhelming and so i just wanted to pay it forward a little bit like people helped me during my time through my dad i had a really interesting experience playing soccer in africa where a couple of my friends got sick with hiv kicked off the team lived the end of their life in a really horrible lonely way and then i was on survivor and got a big pot of money and a big platform so like how can i bring all these things together to create change in this world and grassroots soccer was the answer and so these other guys that i met up with dr Tommy clark sorry dr tommy clark kirk friedrich matembe and lovu we'd all played in africa together and so we just started this organization and so from a little reality show we started with seven schools in zimbabwe and now we are in 60 countries with 18 million graduates raised about 120 million since inception so beautiful awesome super proud of what we've accomplished yeah i mean i've been following the grassroots soccer journey the last couple of years and your growth has been tremendous and i feel like your potential is just you know there's just so much potential uh up there and it, it's only going to continue to abound and to grow and um you know just a note again to the listeners out there to understand that a lot of times when you put yourself in these positions where you're outside your comfort zone and you know you never said survivor was outside your comfort zone but i'm going to presume that parts of it had to have been you know not necessarily what you'd consider to be comfort zone uh i went to jewish summer camp like i can show it an arrow you know <laughs> yeah uh but you know it's it's in those experiences where you truly uncover um you know meaning potential and you know what it is that you can accomplish in this lifetime so that only propelled you uh to start this incredible organization, um, which again is only going to continue to grow and, and abound. Um, so I just kind of want to ask you a couple of questions with regards to soccer and, and the role that it's played in your lifetime. Um, when did you start playing? I started playing uh, probably when I was around six years old. I got two older brothers. They'd stick me in the backyard and they just blast balls in my face. And so naturally I had to protect myself. Mm -hmm. So I ended up being a goalkeeper. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of how I started playing soccer. And then you played all through childhood, like into high all school, childhood, high school, college. And then I never had, I really didn't have hopes of playing professionally, but in college, I was a marine biology and pre-med major. So post-college, I moved to Hawaii, a lot of water there. I'm bound huh. to find a job in marine biology not the case at all. I ended up cleaning toilets and making beds in a youth hostel in Waikiki because you got free health insurance after 60 days. But there's an advertisement in the local paper saying, new professional soccer team, the Hawaii Tsunami. It was just a PR stunt to get people to like pay attention. But I showed up for tryouts as a walk-on and I made it as a backup goalkeeper. And I'm like, screw med school. I'm going to play soccer for the rest of my life. And this was 1996, 97, like just after MLS, which is major league yeah. soccer had just started after the 94 world cup in the U S. And so like there was, 
it was an interesting time in soccer because like all the really good players got drafted to MLS and which left the big void for like above average different three soccer players to kind of do okay at that time. And that was like right place, right time. And yeah, I just wanted to be able, once again, at that level, it's not about the money playing professional soccer. It's more for me, it was more about the experience. And I got to play in Hawaii. I got to play in Israel, play in Zimbabwe, Cape Cod, Boston. So like I was able to travel the world and play soccer and make a couple of shekels on the side. And it was just a great time of my life. Does it still amaze you that soccer is still part of your journey today? I mean, a lot of people, um, you know, they get into their mid twenties and, and, you know, the team sports that kind of kept them alive when they were younger, still kind of are of interest up to, to them, you know, they see it on the TV and whatnot, but it's still, I mean, you're, you're wearing a Jersey right now. Um, you know, yeah. is that something that, you know, amazes you? I mean, was it something that you intentionally held on to for a long time? Um, I, it doesn't amaze me. However, like I've gone through the full spectrum of soccer from yeah. coaching to playing, to administrating, to refereeing, to like building brands and merchandising, to uh, techno- soccer technology and sports data apps. And so like, I've done everything. Now I just, I'm an investor in a new team in Denmark. So like awesome. now the team ownership thing. So like, I love it. I love what soccer brings to the world. It's the world's most popular sport. You saw we just got through the World Cup. Incredible yeah. month. Um, so I'm not surprised. I'm uh, inspired that I can still have it be such a huge part of my life. And obviously, grassroots soccer, using soccer to deliver health interventions for me is really the pinnacle of everything uh, that I've worked for, uh, you know, th- this part of my life. But yeah, without soccer, I don't know if I'd have much direction in life, you know. So uh, for me, it's been a, a good balancing act to be able to always, you know, focus on soccer and, and what soccer can bring to the world and the communities around me. I got to ask, were you, t- were you team messy? I was team messy. I was team messy towards the end, obviously, but, uh, you know, I was an underdog. Like, you know, I love the African teams, you know, yeah. Morocco did great. We had, you know, Ghana, Tunisia. So like I was rooting for the African teams and I love the underdog. So. I love it. It's really cool to see, um, your your journey your journey just continued to come full circle with regards to um you know the role soccer played in your life as a youngster to the lessons that you learn you know as your dad was diagnosed and going through his treatment and how you applied it uh those lessons on the show and after the show and um i i feel like you know you're just a a living breathing um example of the application of the growth mindset, taking what you've learned and applying it in every step of the way. Um, I, I want to uh, keep the the conversation going now with regards to what happened after the show. So you get off the show, um, correct me if I'm wrong, the prize was a million dollars, and then you uh, began grassroots soccer. Um, what happened in the years after that? A lot of partying. Yeah, I imagine. Ethan's Ethan's a fun dude. A million bucks, New York (laughs) City, single. It was awesome. But um, so I said yes to everything. I was like, okay, this reality TV bullshit's got got an uh, expiration date. I want to get in. I want to maximize it. I want to have as much fun as possible. When it's over, it's over. And so there was a lot of that going on, you know. However, um, you know, to give everything that I went through some purpose and meaning grassroots soccer. So like I would show up anywhere 
as long as I could wear a grassroots soccer t-shirt or talk about grassroots soccer. So for me to add like some legitimacy to what I went through on reality TV and bring it back to reality, if you want to call it that way, made it worthwhile for me. And, um, so yeah, that, that, uh, that's what happened after. And then if you kind of were navigating towards where I think we're going is, uh, so 2004, I played again, Survivor All-Stars, did Amazing Race, Fear Factor. I did everything I possibly could. And then unfortunately, in 2008, I just completed uh, Guinness Book of World Records. I dribbled a soccer ball from Boston, Massachusetts to Washington, D.C. Um, and then I was uh, diagnosed with a uh, rare form of blood cancer called CD20 positive Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, that's kind of when the whole cancer journey began. Got it. So we're going to dive right into that, but I just want to take a quick pause. That Guinness World Record, I think I read, was about 550 miles. Is that correct? It is. It's been broken like the next day. So, wow. Wow. All right. Well, I mean, you know, for the audience out there, soak that in because he said it so casually and just (laughs) casually dropped it in. Uh, One day he is um, chugging along 550 miles with a soccer ball. And then shortly thereafter, um, you know, he gets this, this cancer diagnosis. Let's talk about December 1st, which is world AIDS day, 2008 diagnosed April of 2009. Wow. Um, how did it come about with regards to you noticing something was wrong? Well, my presenting symptoms was itchy skin. You know, I had debilitatingly itchy skin with no rash, you know, like when you get a mosquito bite and like you can itch it and you're like, it feels so good. That never happened. It was like, you could never satiate the itch and it was permeating from the inside out. So I'm like, something's going on here, but it took me four months and lots of doctors to actually figure out what was going inside my body. And it wasn't until a swollen lymph node popped out of my neck and they found a six centimeter by 12 centimeter mass in my chest. And so that's when, um, you know, obviously things got pretty gnarly. And at the time, were you, you were with your girlfriend at the time or were you single at the time? I was, I was, I was with a girl at the time. Um, I'm not with that girl anymore. Yeah. I was going through this with a girlfriend in New York city families in, in the Boston area. Yeah. And, and how, I mean, how did you handle the initial diagnosis? Well, uh, to me, my only connection to cancer was through my dad. So to me, cancer equal death. And so I was, extremely petrified uh and did not have a great reaction um however on the flip side like i'm an athlete i got the athlete's mentality and i'm like okay this is another challenge in my life and i'm going to beat this thing so that was kind of you know how i kind of flipped the switch on it and i you know luckily i had an incredible support group around me. I had been on Survivor. The news broke. Obviously, lots of incoming love and admiration and support and everyone wanting to help. So I'm incredibly fortunate that I had that experience. Uh, On the flip side, it was pretty difficult to go through cancer in the public eye. And uh, kind of an interesting take on culture and American culture. I've never been as famous as I was when I was sick. I Let's talk about that a little bit more. I mean, I'm interested in, in hearing that with regards to what did that entail um, in terms of was it an invasion of privacy type matter or was it was there more to it? Well, I I don't think there was more to it. I just think people like either a underdog story or yeah. like death, right? Yeah. So like that's American culture. So you know, I like I said before, I just 
incredible head of hair and like I was fit and I was a soccer player and survivor winner and champion. And I think people just wanted to get that picture of me bald and a walker yeah. with a mask and gloves. Like that's what they were looking for. That makes money. That sells magazines. Yeah. You know, this is 2009. Yeah. Um, so I, and you, you do talk a lot about storytelling. And so for me, I wanted to take control of my own narrative. And yeah. so I went public and I needed to get out before anyone else got out before it. And so whether that was a uh, a choice I wanted to make or I was forced to make, I made that choice. I didn't know what would happen if I opened my life to complete strangers all over again, but it was a, it was a great choice. I ended up sharing my story with People Magazine. So I had a, back in the day, a vlog, if you can believe it. So I showed the, the, the highs, the lows, the, the, the beauty, the ugly of going through cancer as a young adult. I don't think anyone had done it before, um, especially at this intimate level. Like I had them in the doctor's rooms with me, you know, crying, ball, like everything yeah. from fertility to relationships, to family, to community, to exercising, food, all that stuff. I was sharing my story. Um, and what was interesting was the feedback I got was overwhelming in a positive way. Um, and I collect people, I'm sure you're in the same way, like putting your story out there, you get, you get people coming yeah. at you. And so like, since I've been public, I mean, I can't even count. I'm at 50, 60 people have reached out to me said, because I saw you here, or this interview there, or Katie Kirk there, blah, 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 there. I got, I had that same itch. I went to the doctors. I got diagnosed earlier. And so playing some role in helping other people get diagnosed earlier, helping them manage their cancer care has made it worthwhile for me to talk about my story. Yeah. And uh, something I learned is that like I kind of live my life these days by like making sure to never let a crisis go to waste because it's an opportunity to do some really important things. So for me in the middle of my nightmare, in the middle of this cancer diagnosis, sharing my story was and focusing on the plight of the other people helped me heal. Yeah. And that's like scientifically proven, like focusing on the challenges of other people helps you heal as a human being. So if I could do this in the middle of my nightmare, it would be a distraction of my reality of my own situation, a cathartic kind of recovery, and I'm helping people at the same time. And so that was kind of how I use that horrible moment to make a great moment for a lot of other people. I couldn't agree with you more. And and the beauty of it with someone like yourself and other people have gone through similar situations is they don't ever look back on that decision to kind of invest in other people during that time. And I think it's one of those things that once you do it, that's it. And it, you know, you've been doing it since, and you're probably going to continue doing it until you're no longer here because it was such a uh, turning point in your life. Um, you know, at, at first sight, it could seem like it's for the worst, but you know, looking back on it now, you can see the positives that have come out about the way that you approached it. Um, I, I want to be clear that it might not be for everyone. Listen, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not trying to force people to like go public and share their story. If that's not your thing, that's not your thing. I get it. Um, and I also want to make note that like, I'm in a really lucky, fortunate situation where I have been on TV. I have a following, right? So it's, I would say it's different than the average person, sure. but I want like one person or a group of people can do big things in this world. You don't have to have been on Survivor have millions of dollars. Like every little bit helps. Like how cool is it that there are complete strangers out there like yourself running marathons, doing triathlons, selling cookies to raise money for cancer research that funded a drug that helped save my life. Yeah. Right. To me, that's inspiring. 
That's what it's all about. And so like, if you're ever wondering where your money's going, like it's inside me, it's inside you, right? Like we are living proof that the work that these doctors are doing every single day is saving the lives of real people. And that's because these real people, strangers out there doing crazy, stupid stuff for cancer and cancer research. And so that is inspiring to me. That's why I keep doing what I'm doing. That's why I show up everywhere, say yes to everything, share my story, and just try to keep pushing these messages forward. Let people know what cancer is really like, right? Uh, how, how long was your battle, you know, with regards, how long were you undergoing treatment? Um, so I was diagnosed for the first time in 2009. I went through multiple rounds of chemotherapy, 22 blasts of radiation, and an autologous stem cell transplant. And it was good um, for a while. I was in remission for 20 months. And then the cancer came back. I had to do it all over again. And uh, I went on an experimental new drug called, I mean, it was a clinical trial back then. It was called SGN35. It's now called Etcetris from Seattle Genetics. So I went on that. Um, that got me into remission again. So I was going to get my second stem cell transplant, this time using my brother, Lee, as the donor. Yeah. And so that was in 2012. And so I'm coming up, I'm 10 years in remission. And, um, you know, for yeah. me, just like you, running... Uh, and endurance, uh, sports became my, my healing, you know, cause I was in Sloan Kettering on the eighth floor. I watched people run up and down first Avenue. I'm like, fuck, I want to run up first Avenue and I don't want to have to come in here for a freaking doctor's appointment. So about nine months after my first transplant, I ran the New York city marathon. Um, I ran the 2011 New York city marathon while undergoing chemotherapy. And then Incredible. I ran the 2012 Boston marathon, 10 months after my second stem cell transplant. So I was always like focusing on these, these goals. Um, and like yourself, little mini exercise goals was the way I got through it. Like, you know, I couldn't walk a block when I was coming out of transplant. So to build yourself up um, was really, really a hard yeah. process. But the way that your perspective gets shaped, um, you know, after an experience like that, it, it's hard to express sometimes. And, um, you know, fortunately for you, you also had life experiences that helped develop your mindset and your approach as an athlete, uh, as someone who was on a show that required, um, you know, intense application of both mental, emotional and, and physical skills. And, um, you know, it, it's just um, a reminder to everyone that it doesn't really matter what your background is. None of us are really safe in the face of cancer. So it's just more around, you know, developing and, and being open to uh, the mindset to help us kind of counteract those kind of challenges that come about in our lifetime. Yeah. And um, the mindset thing's huge, man. Like, and, um, you know, uh, I'm not saying like you got the whole positivity, like stay positive, like be strong. Like, yeah, it's great. But like this toxic positivity thing is this like just destroying a lot of people. There's no data out there that says if you're positive, you're going to survive cancer better than someone who's negative. Yeah. It's just not. So like for me, like, you know, putting this front on where I'm always happy. I'm always strong. I'm always out there. It just didn't work for me. I was doing it at first. And my mom saw me on the CBS early show. She's like, Ethan, that was a great interview. But listen, you got to tell people what it's really like. Yeah. And as soon as I really told them like that, like I'm sad. Some days I don't leave the house. I'm throwing up. I'm depressed. I have anxiety. I can't sleep. As soon as I did that, things switched. And I started connecting and resonating with the people I was speaking to more because the more we share what our so yeah. what cancer is really like, the more change can happen. And I truly believe that. And, um, you know, I, I think staying positive is a good thing, but I also feel you need to feel the feels um, and you can't just ignore what's really going on. And so for me, 
reaching out to other people who've been through cancer and connecting with them, mentoring people going through cancer, being in focus groups, going to incredible, like these outdoor adventure camps, which you need to go to do like first ascents, epic experience, camp Koru. Like these are free. They're for cancer patients, young adults, cancer survivors. And it's just awesome. And like, I didn't know anyone my age that went through cancer. So like I'd walk into the doctor's office, I'd see older adults, I'd see pediatrics. There's no young adults that survive cancer. So to be able to connect with other people going through the same thing at the same time was a lifesaver for me. So I encourage anyone out there who's struggling with a health challenge, doesn't have to be cancer, but find people who are going through it, who have been through it and survived and, and, and start talking to them. I mean, Ethan is spot on. And one thing that I could speak to in my own experience is a lot of people who have gone through it are more than happy to speak to people who are going through it. Um, and um, you know, it, it could feel like a barrier to reach out, but take that step. I mean, you will not regret it. And I can say with fair confidence that the majority, a healthy majority of people who have gone through it are, are there and ready to speak about it and, and to kind of give you the support that you need because it it is a very intimate experience. Um, and, you know, to your point, Ethan, when you were talking about your mom after that Good Morning America interview, you know, nothing speaks truer than authenticity. Um, yeah. And when you have a following, your followers know when you're not being authentic. And when you are in the spotlight and when you have cameras on you, and even if you're not, even if you're just in a room full of people speaking to them, they know when you're just saying the right things or when you're saying what you really feel. And, you know, I love that you got that nudge um, to really let it out there because the people do need to know. And um, more than anything, it's freeing for yourself. You know, there's yeah. nothing that's going to unleash your own comfort and, and freedom than just being your own authentic, true self. And um, so I, I just kind of yeah, wanted to point that out. Yeah. And just to build on that, you know, like my, obviously my family and friends were incredible, but they're biased. And, you know, there's sometimes there's this bar, like I've never been loved so much, but felt so alone because they just don't know what it's like going through what I went through. So there's incredible organizations out there like Immerman Angels. There's a new technology called Cancer Buddy out there. I encourage everyone to hop on it if you're a survivor, if you're a caregiver, or if you're going through treatment, because basically, I mean, if for lack of a better word, it's like Tinder, but for connection and not love. So I filled out, I'm 35 years old, I'm lymphoma, I'm a soccer guy, I'm Jewish, Like I have a girlfriend, they paired me up with a guy who's 35 years old, Jewish, blah, 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 who had survived and I could connect with him. And whether it's on the internet or text or video, like you can be anonymous, you can be present. So for those people who are a little bit nervous to reach out and engage with other one, like these are great options for you. And I always give the example because like I was plagued with anxiety to the point yeah. where like I couldn't leave the house post cancer. Like cancer was easy for me to go through it. Not a problem. When a doctor tells you to do something, you'll die, you do it. But after cancer, when like everyone disappears, I got a pocket full of pills and I'm trying to pick up the pieces of my life. That's when shit got hairy for me. And so I always like, if you imagine if you have a beach ball, right. And you're playing on the beach and you're trying to keep the beach ball underwater. You sit on it, you're laying on it, but there's only so long you can keep that underwater until it starts popping up in weird ways. Like it's the same with like your emotions and it's the same with your feelings. Like if you keep them locked up down inside, they're just going to bubble up in weird, horrible, destructive ways. And that's what happened to me. So once I started opening up and sharing and talking to a shrink and connecting with people on Cancer Buddy and, and uh, just my world opened up and uh, I could start living a life I was proud of. 
Yeah, I mean, you answered my next question because um, I did make note of the fact that you know your post-cancer um, period was one of the tougher periods that you had gone through. And um, to echo what Ethan was saying, I'm on cancer, buddy, and I I also suggest that you guys check it out. Um, you know, if if you know of someone who is going through an experience and is looking for someone to link up with, kudos to you. Ethan was the one who brought it to my attention a couple of months ago, actually. Uh, and so I I definitely recommend you all to check it out um, if it's something that um, could be impactful for you. Um, you know, I want to be cognizant of time, Ethan. I want to talk a little bit about um, you know your overall mindset today. You've been through so much. I mean, more than you know, the average person for sure, with regards to uh, experiences and the ups and downs of um, you know just being on a platform uh, the way that you are, and and going from winning a show back in the day when, to your point, reality TV had just gotten started. Um, I had to feel that um, you had to do a lot of work to keep yourself grounded as an individual. I could be wrong. But just based on what I know about you, yeah, I mean, you are you are extremely (laughs) humble and down to earth and just really cool. And, you know, again, for the audience out there, I texted or shot Ethan an email two weeks ago. And a lot of my guests take a little bit of time to sign up. Ethan was signed up in a week uh, with regards to getting on the show. And it just tells me that not that he has free time, but that he's just down to earth and cool and just like willing to to help the cause, Um, you know. What kind of potential self-work have you been doing over the last couple of years to keep yourself grounded? Well, there was a time where I wasn't grounded. And mm-hmm. so understanding where I was and where I am today is like night and day. And, uh, you know, the the TV world does a number on you and, you know, you get caught up in it a little bit. But I, I do think, you know, being going through um, a challenge in life, whether it's a health challenge, mental health challenge, physical, whatever it may be, I think that kind of brought me down to reality a little bit. And you know, I've I've was brought up in a great household. Um, you know, great va- learned great values growing up from my my parents and my religion. Uh, I'm not the most religious guy in the world, but just having that upbringing was helpful. And like I said, like I've I've I truly believe that you know being selfless and helping other people is good for anyone in life. And I think that's kept me grounded. Um, you know, I understand the the value of reality TV. I understand like, it's really silly, but it's fun. People love it, but it's also like, it's just, it is what it is. So like, I didn't get, you know, I really want to get too caught up in that. But for me, just like being some form of, conduit to making the world a better place keeps me grounded. You know, I've traveled a bunch, met a lot of different people around the world, met some real assholes and some incredible people. So I think I just, uh, I'm a good people person. I enjoy learning about other people. Uh, I enjoy sharing my story, helping others. And I just think all that combined, you know, helps keep me a little bit grounded. I love that. Like I said, I got two older brothers who keep me grounded. They'll knock me (laughs) down and pop my freaking big head any day of the week. Plus my wife, you know, my wife is like, dude, come on. You, I think you're a lot better than you really are. You're just some freaking 50 year old reality, former reality, like, you know, B list, D list celebrity. So get, get over it already. <laughs> Not, nothing like a wife to put you in your place. I could, I could, I could speak to, speak to that for a whole episode. Um, 
That's awesome. Um, Ethan, I want to say thank you so much. Honestly, it's been such a pleasure having you on today. Uh, This is going to be such an incredible episode for the guests out there, for the listeners. Your story is just so distinguished and it really offers a perspective that hasn't been shared here before. We did have one other reality show contestant on the show and, you know, uh, Jason Tardick, who was on The Bachelorette. Um, and he came right. off, he's written a book since then. He's got a podcast. It's called trading secrets. Um, nice. and, and similar to you, um, his experience on the show really kind of impacted his perspective in a positive manner. And, um, you know, that, that's something that certainly re- unites you two as uh, former reality TV stars that have come on the show. Um, but your battle with cancer in particular and your ability to kind of talk openly about the period after cancer and the loneliness of that period and and kind of you know i read in one of the articles that you had spoken about about how you know when you're in the hospital the doctors are giving you attention your family's giving you attention even the media at that point wanted to know what you're going on but when you get a clean bill of health all of a sudden all that kind of disappears and you're left to your own with um you know all, all the pills at that point um and and to see the way that you've kind of taken your journey resurrected it and you know intentionally gone about uh, your mission of helping others. Everybody out there, please check out Grassroots Soccer. Everybody out there, make sure you look up Ethan and uh, you know help out the organization because it's certainly headed toward a very positive trajectory. So thank you, Ethan. Really appreciate having yeah, you on that. I just want to make note, like, listen, you we are we are part of the same tribe here. What you've been able to do with your book and your marathon campaigns and your fundraising, you know, that is unbelievable. So all of us working together helping other people. Uh, It's just a beautiful thing. And I just want to congratulate you for everything you've accomplished and having the being brave enough to share your story without knowing what's going to come back at you. And and it looks like it's been a positive experience. And so I just encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. And uh, I look forward to see where where you where you end up one day, maybe on an island with Survivor, I mean, right? We'll see. We'll we'll have to take that conversation offline. (laughs) We'll take that offline, right? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 Podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review, and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family. And let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.